All right. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Third John. The book of Third John. So just look for Revelation and go back to the left a little bit. Uh, Revelation, then back one book is Jude, and then back another book from there is Third John. We're going to be in there, kind of go through these this short little letter and see what we can learn out of this uh, this short little epistle. Um, I think it is an emboldening truth, though, to know that God uses weak people, uh, sometimes small, insignificant people, to do and accomplish his mission in this world. I think that is one of the most amazing truths of the Bible. And in fact, before we get to 3 John, I'm going to read a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that kind of spells this out. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he begins his letter by saying this, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. I think it's a marvelous truth that God, the high and mighty God, the God that created heavens and earth, has chosen that his gospel, his good news, should be carried forth by people like us, people who are weak, people who sometimes fail, oftentimes fail, people who sin. He has chosen us specifically as a people to, uh, as his primary agents in getting his mission, uh, his mission, his message of the gospel into the world. That, to me, is an uncanny truth and one that makes us bold, one that makes us confident, and one that um, makes it to where we don't get any of the glory. We don't get any of the praise, we don't get any of the attention, because God is the one that is working through weak people. And in fact, later in this chapter, Paul continues and he says, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. It's God's purpose that he would get the glory, even as we are carrying out his mission. And I think Third John kind of speaks to that little notion, that notion that God is working through weak people really, really well. Uh, and Third John, let's just read these 14 verses. It's only 14 verses. It's the shortest New Testament letter. And uh, let's just read all 14 verses and I'll give you a sense of what's going on. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore are to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth." I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men, and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. 
I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust that I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee, greet the, the, the friends by name. So it's only 14 verses, but I think what we have here is a really, really powerful uh, and kind of a candid message about not only hearing the truth, but also doing the truth. Remember that verse from James where he says, we are not to be hearers only, but doers of the word. And I think this letter kind of speaks to that um, very well. Uh, it's 14 verses, it's short, um, it's extremely practical. Do you, you get the sense of that? It's, it's a practical letter, and it's a personal letter. Uh, I like that uh, John is literally just taking a little bit of his time out and writing a letter to his friend Gaius. Um, and I think that's an important thing to remember as we are reading New Testament epistles, like um, we're reading the letters to the church at Corinth or reading letters to Go the church at Galatia or so on and so forth, uh, to remember that these are letters. These are normal correspondence, just like we write emails. <laughs> these are first century emails to churches. They're not, we, I, think, um, I think about this too, that we have this idea that the, the letters in the New Testament are just big theological books, which they are. They present a lot of theology. If you read Romans, you're going to be hit in the face with a lot of theology and doctrine. But first and foremost, these were personal letters written by hand or sometimes dictated in Paul's uh, case many times. They were written by hand, though, by the apostles and sent to people, personal people who had their own worries, their own griefs, their own struggles, their own heartaches. These were normal letters written to normal people uh, living normal lives. And I think that is very apparent in this letter. He's just writing to his friend Gaius, encouraging him in his ministry, and reminding him to keep the faith, to keep walking in the truth. And that's what this letter is. These, this third John, this third epistle from the Apostle John, is to this guy named Gaius. Now, it's unclear who this man was, Gaius. Um, the, the, the name Gaius, G-A-I-U-S, appears four other times in your New Testament. A couple times in Acts, one time in Romans, and another time actually in 1 Corinthians where we were just reading. Um, but it, there's no sort of uh, connection between any of those names that would make it to where we could assume that that's the same guy. And in fact, in the first century, Gaius was an extremely popular name in Greek. Um, so there was many people that went under this name, sort of like John or Jack or Michael is um, popular for us today. It's a common name. It's not a name that would be abnormal. So it's, it's not, uh, it, it's anyone who tries to connect this man Gaius here with the Gaiuses that are mentioned later or in other places is just kind of, pretending or projecting. It's not uh, necessarily biblical to do so. But what I think is interesting is that despite this sort of unknown or uncertain background about this man, we remember his name and remember what he did, what he did for the church. And in fact, um, John calls him uh, beloved four times in just 14 verses. <laughs> It's clear, I think, from that, that, he, that he, he loved this dear brother in the faith. He says in verse 1, the well-beloved Gaius. He says in verse 2, beloved. Verse 5, beloved, thou doest faithfully. Verse 11, beloved, follow not that which is evil. He is writing to a dear friend in the faith, a dear friend of the church. 
And such is what that word means. Beloved can literally be translated dear friend. So he's writing to this man. He's encouraging this man. Um, and he's encouraging this guy who was a co-worker in the faith, a co-worker in the church. Um, and John is not only just praying that he would be encouraged in his work of the ministry in the church, but he's also praying for his health. Look at verse 2. John says, Beloved, I wish above all that all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. So John the Apostle is writing and, and seeking that this man, Gaius, would not only be healthy spiritually, but would be healthy physically. He's concerned for his entire well-being. And I think that's characteristic of John's writing. If you read First and Second John, uh, you know that those books are filled with references and illustrations of love, the love of God. And that's uh, characteristic of a lot of what John would write. He is uh, sometimes called the apostle of love. Um, he never speaks with an irritated tone, a, a tone that would make you feel like he's come condemning or coming down on his listeners. He's writing more as like a parent sort of uh, disciplining or actually doting on his children. And, and that's what he's doing here. This, he's writing to this man, Gaius, who is actually probably a convert of John's, um, in verse 4, where he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth, not his physical children. I think that's a reference to Gaius being well, one that John discipled and actually perhaps converted to the faith. And so that's, that's why this brief letter is a letter of love. He's loving on Gaius and encouraging him to continue in what he's doing to further his resolve in the faith and further his resolve to walk in truth, as he says in verse 4. And so how John remembers Gaius, I think, is, how, is really important for us. And I just want to point out two quick lessons by way of contrast um, that will make it really apparent. These two sort of contrasting testimonies. First, we have in verses 5 through 8 a testimony of deference because that's what Gaius shows us. He is deferring of himself in order for the good and the sake of the church. Verse 5 again, John writes, Beloved Gaius, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sword, thou shalt do well." Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. So this testimony of deference, that's what Gaius is sort of showing forth here. He's a gospel-centered man, but he's likely not a preacher. And in fact, that's what these verses point out. He had a different ministry. He wasn't preaching. He wasn't teaching. He wasn't lecturing from the word. Um, he had a different ministry. You see, in this time, uh, the apostles, those who were closest to Jesus, and, and, and after the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, they employed and trained and discipled other men who would travel around to the churches and sort of encourage those churches in the truth, sort of like we know of like evangelists nowadays. They would employ evangelist teachers who were especially trained, and these preachers would travel to the churches and like in Acts 2, they would reaffirm the apostles' doctrine and the breaking of bread and in prayers and in such like that, as it says in Acts 2.42. 
And so these traveling preachers then, they would be going from church to church, city to city, learning, the, uh, teaching the truth, uh, and discipling these new plants, these new churches in all these various locations. And they relied solely on the giving of the churches in order to sustain such a ministry. That's what actually what it says in verse 7, where it says, taking nothing of the Gentiles. That phrase there sort of can mean taking nothing from pagans. They weren't receiving outside support from such and such a government or something like that. They were receiving no sort of subsidies on the side. They were f- solely funded and supported by these churches. They went around, as it says, for his name's sake, for the sake of Jesus' name. They were traveling, they were going from church to church preaching and reinforcing the apostles' doctrine, which was that Jesus is the only way to be saved. And it's these same preachers, as it says in verse 6, that are testifying, that are relaying the fact that Gaius is supporting them. That's what John is saying, which have borne witness. These traveling preachers are testifying, they're bearing witness of your charity before the church. They're telling everyone that you are doing well, that you are doing a good thing. They're testifying and bearing witness to Gaius' hospitality. And that's what John here is doing. In these verses here, he's noting this, this deference, this deferential testimony of Gaius, and he's reaffirming it, saying, Gaius, you are doing a good work. You are doing a godly work by uh, housing those that are coming into your town. And that's what he's encouraging him to do. That in taking in these brothers and strangers, as he says in verse 5, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. So these traveling preachers would go around to church to church, and like sometimes missionaries, when they come to us, we house them in various um, people's houses in our church. That's what Gaius was doing, and that's what John is encouraging him to do. And in fact, in verse 12, he's encouraging him to welcome this one Demetrius. He's telling this guy, he's coming, perhaps with this very letter, welcome him into your home. He has a good report. He has a report that we recommend. You can know that he is true, and he will speak the truth, so you can welcome him into your home. And so, through these testimonies, through these verses, the Apostle John is, 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 is affirming to Gaius to continue in this gracious hospitality so the, these preachers of grace can continue sharing and spreading the message of grace. So he is encouraging him to continue in this, that this is a good work, this is a good thing, that this is something um, that is uh, necessary, but it's also something, I think, that uh, with this apostle's sort of affirmation of this ministry, it adds sort of a, a greater weight to what Gaius was doing. Because he wasn't just welcoming people, he was actually becoming part of that very ministry. See, uh, this sort of ministry of hospitality, um, especially in this day and age when dining, as we've uh, talked about before, uh, dining and sitting at table with people wasn't like, you know, we sit at table and just eat. It was an event. It was a sacred practice, something that people gathered around to do, and it was considered uh, a holy thing. uh, Housing someone was very much the same. It was a very, very sacred thing in order to welcome someone into your house. And there were few sort of nobler callings than to do that, and then to open your house to someone who was just traveling to speak the truth. And that's what Gaius was doing. He was showing grace and welcoming these brothers, sometimes perhaps perhaps he knew, and even as it says in verse 5, these strangers into his house. 
And it was an honorable calling and to host those that are called to preach the word. And it makes you part of the same ministry. It allows you and it allies you with the same sort of uh, truth that they are preaching. You are allies with the truth as you are housing the truth. That's what John, I think, was showing him. You are becoming part of the ministry by being a ministry unto those that are ministering. (laughs) You are doing an intricate part of the ministry. And I think what this, to me, what this shows us, and it shows me at least, is that every single one of us has a part to play in the ministry of God and in the kingdom of God. That there's no insignificant role. Yes, there might be insignificant roles that we think of, but for God, they're not insignificant. Whether we're cleaning or taking out the trash or mowing the lawn or whether we're standing up and teaching, we are all playing a role in the ministry of God and to further the name of God. And as it says in verse 7, to do everything for his name's sake. That's what Gaius was doing. He was, he was housing people uh, knowing that, that what she was doing was for the sake of Jesus' name. He was hosting people and providing a charity unto them um, that was allowing the name of God, the word of God, the message of the truth to be expanded and broadened throughout the known world at this time. And this ministry of charity, I think, is, is fascinating to me because it allows Gaius to have a reach then, uh, that was probably way beyond that what we thought possible. I think that's especially relevant for us as we're giving to the church or perhaps we're giving to some such ministry. As Pastor Jay has noted before, that your money goes far, way farther beyond than we could ever imagine. It goes where you can't go. We have responsibilities here. Other people have been called to minister in such and such a location to, you know, Cambodia or Zimbabwe or whatever. They've been called to that location. We've been called here. And yet as we are supporting them, as we are giving to them, as we are giving perhaps financially or just practically to them and their ministry, your support is going where you can't go. The same for Gaius. He was housing and supporting people in ways that he probably didn't even realize. Perhaps he didn't even recognize the fact that he was playing such an integral role in the furtherance of the truth. But that's what he was doing, and that's what John is encouraging with him here. Guys, you, have, you don't have a small part to play. You are playing a key role in the ministry of the church, in the ministry of the truth. This is how you are walking in truth. You're giving of your time, you're giving of your resources, you're giving of your home to people who are traveling through and speaking the truth. Guys, you are doing a good thing. This is Gaius' testimony. It's one of grace. It's one of deference. And he's going out of his way to show those who are speaking on traveling uh, for his name's sake. And it's putting them on the same team. It's putting them on the same side. It's aligning them and they are now allies in the truth because Gaius is doing one part of the ministry as these traveling preachers, as perhaps Demetrius too, are traveling and preaching the truth. It's a testimony of deference. Secondly, in verses 9 through 11, I want to point out quickly This one, Diotrephes, who has the opposite testimony. (laughs) He has completely opposite of what Gaius is known for, Diotrephes is known for. He has, I would call it, a testimony of dominance. Look at what he says in verse 9. John writes, he says, I wrote unto the church previously, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds 
which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, excuse me, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. The gap, the contrast between these two guys, Gaius and Diotrephes, I think could not be greater, especially because it's only 14 verses. And John goes out of his way to call out these two men and point out what Gaius is doing well and what Diotrephes is doing ill. <laughs> he said, you are doing well, Gaius. Diotrephes, I'll deal with him later. <laughs> He's not doing anything for the sake of the church. He's actually hindering the church. And it's actually, I think, really interesting that Diotrephes is now remembered forever in God's eternal word as one who is only known for wanting to have the preeminence or speaking malicious words in the, in the church. He is one um, uh, who wanted to dominate the church. And he, and, 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 like Gaius, not much is known about him in terms of his background, in, in terms of who he was personally necessarily. It's believed that wherever this church was, he was a, an elder or a deacon in the church, and he was actually one who was uh, causing problems. <laughs> he was actually resisting the traveling preachers, the ones who the apostles were confirming and recommending and sending. He was resisting them, not wanting to give up his control of the church. <laughs> he almost saw it as if these guys were coming in and sort of taking authority away, and he, not wanting to have that authority being taken away, as it says, he was actually forbidding people to house them, and he was actually casting them out of the church. <laughs> that's, what he, uh, that's what it says, And not content with, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. <laughs> He's causing all sorts of problems. <laughs> he is not helping the church. Again, he's not playing his role. He's forgetting what his role is. He's forgetting what God has designed the church to be and designed what the church should function as. He is actually hindering the furtherance of the truth by pretending that he can control, by pretending that he has the authority of the truth. And he's overstepping all of these bounds in order to keep that for himself. <laughs> And this is what Diotrephes is remembered. This is how he's remembered. As a dominating man, a one who uh, dominates the church and actually is defaming the ministers of the truth who were traveling for Jesus' name. And yet Diotrephes is resisting and casting them out and forbidding people to show love and grace to them. And I think by that very nature, Diotrephes shows that he doesn't understand the truth. He thinks he does. But he doesn't understand the truth because the truth is always accompanied by love. And it's accompanied by deference. It's accompanied by grace. And geography shows none of those characteristics. His, um, his uh, sort of passion for maybe church security sort of overstepped the love that should be shown for the Lord's servants. And the love that should be shown for Christ's sheep. He overstepped his authority. So we have these two testimonies here. A testimony of deference and a testimony of dominance. They couldn't be further from each other. Opposite poles uh, on the spectrum. And I think what this shows us is that our actions matter. What we do for God matters. What we do for God does not save us. Don't mishear me. But it does matter. 
It does matter what you do for the Lord Jesus because in your actions for the truth, people can see that you love the truth. Diotrephes, we remember as a man who did not love the truth, one who resisted at, one who resisted those who ministered for the truth. Our actions can't save us, but they show where our priorities lie, where our allegiances lie. It says, um, it, it's, it's, Everything that we do ought to be done for the sake of Jesus' name, as it says in verse 7 again. Because that for his name's sake they went forth. For his name's sake. These preachers were traveling for Jesus' name. Gaius was ministering in hospitality for Jesus' name. The same with us. We attend church for Jesus' name. We teach for Jesus' name. We clean the church for Jesus' name. We clean our houses for Jesus' name. We house people for Jesus' name. We we show hospitality to friends for Jesus' name. This is, uh, I think, how we can enter into the ministry in sort of small ways and ways that might surprise us. Because we can do things that perhaps we might see as insignificant. As things that are done for the sake of God's truth and God's glory. That's what John is affirming to Gaius. You are doing something for the good and glory of God. For the good and glory of the church. It's not small. It's not insignificant. It's something that uh, is one that is important. And I think only one name can inspire this type of giving. And it's that name, Jesus' name. Only the name of Jesus uh, can inspire this type of grace being shown by people, as it says, people who are strangers. That it can inspire, only the name of Jesus can inspire this type of deference, deferring your own, perhaps, comfort in order to house a person coming to you. Show, deferring your own sort of routine and regimen in order to uh, show hospitality to a brother or to a sister or to a family. Only one name can sort of inspire this type of sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to give of our time in order for the furtherance of the kingdom. Sometimes we have to sacrifice a lot of our time or sacrifice uh, financially, sacrifice um, uh, uh, physically. But the name of Jesus for the sake of his name, and I think what the apostle is telling us here, it's worth it because our actions matter. They show people around us that the truth matters, that God's truth matters, that God's truth, uh, it, it, it is far more inspiring and motivating than we could ever imagine. And that's what the name of Jesus does. The name of Jesus alone is that which for, uh, informs and inspires every single thing that we do. All our impulses to give to such and such a ministry or to give of our lives in such and such a way, to give of our actions for the sake of a gospel, they can all be rooted and grounded and found and traced back to that name, Jesus Christ. The name that we've been celebrating during these weeks of Christmas the name which means Savior. The name which means the one who has come to die for our sins. It's this name alone that inspires and motivates us to live for the truth. As John says here, to walk in truth in verse 4. And therefore it's our knowledge of the truth then that's going to fill our hearts and minds and to actually clothe us in this type of charity. Which is why the Christian life is so much um, 
more uh, simple than we make it out to be. <laughs> because if you want to uh, sort of be remembered this way, remembered with a testimony of deference, it, it boils down to a knowledge of the truth of the gospel. Our entire lives are to be spent as people who are diving into the depths of the gospel. How far the gospel goes to reach us, to save us, to redeem us, to rescue us from the depths of our sin. That's how far the gospel is going. And that's what discipleship means. That's what it means to be one who walks in truth. You're learning the far, the vast, the infinite reaches of that gospel of grace that, that these preachers were preaching and that is our very life. Because the more that we know the truth, the more the truth that will come to define us. And it will become what we are known for. Just what Gaius is known for. He had a testimony of deference because he was walking in the truth. He didn't just know it. He didn't just hear it. He was walking in it. I have to preach to myself with that. (laughs) We hear the truth all the time. We hear perhaps the same messages a lot. And sometimes, uh, I'll just be honest with you, they go in one ear and right out the other, right? (laughs) But what John is affirming, walk in the truth. Continue in your walk. Be known for the truth as you are ministering to those who are preaching the truth. And for us, I think that means there's no small thing that you can do in the kingdom of God. So you can glory and relish in perhaps your insignificant task because it is a task that is done for the good and the glory of God. Because his name is going forth for his name's sake. That's what we are doing and that's what we are living. And that's what we are living for right here and right now. All right, let's pray.